Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at bmcaddiction.org. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. Just about a century ago, the richest man in the U.S., John D. Rockefeller, made a trip out west to a fancy hotel in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Last summer, a group of today's richest Americans got together at the very same hotel. Their meeting was not secret, but it was almost impossible to get in unless you had a lot of cash that you were willing to part with. It was organized by brothers Charles and David Koch, who together are wealthier than Bill Gates. And they used some of that money to support their own political interest group, Americans for Prosperity. On the agenda in Colorado Springs was really only one item of business, influencing America's laws. For decades, the very, very rich on both the left and the right have been building networks that help with that influencing. And the effects can be profound. Theda Scotchpole is an expert on these networks. She's a professor at Harvard who has spent decades trying to understand political shifts. She says that, yes, rich people have always wanted to bend politics to their will. But something new and unusual is going on here, especially over the last dozen years. In the Koch network, lots of rich people are now involved, about 500. And there's a focused way to channel their money. I think that is a scale of organization and systematic action that we haven't really seen probably since the late 19th century. Now, remember, the growth of this new arm of politics is a reality on both the right and the left. But those on the conservative side seem to have been a lot better at extending their influence, at least so far. Jane Mayer, a staff writer for The New Yorker and author of the book Dark Money, The Hidden History of the Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right, says, on the right, this success actually goes way back to the upheaval of the 1960s. This has really been, in its current incarnation, is a 40-year effort at least by mostly corporate heads who were very upset when there was Ralph Nader's consumer movement in the late 60s and early 70s, the environmental movement, the anti-war movement. They saw this as a kind of a, a direct threat to corporate America, and particularly for people like the Kochs, Charles and David, who were uh, sons of a, a member of the John Birch Society, they looked at the sort of the growth of government regulation that came out of the environmental movement and, and all these other sort of movements on the street as, as a kind of the growth of socialism in America. They, they were extremely anti-government. So there was this ideological movement that they began to fund, and it was tiny in the beginning. One of the things that interested me was it's a very, it was a very, very small fringe group of people who whose only advantage was they had tons of money. They were, their views were very unpopular at the time and um, laughed at even by conservatives like William F. Buckley, who described them as anarcho-totalitarians. So they were way out on the fringe, and what interested me was how over 40 years, by using their fortunes and organizing, they, they studied American politics like engineers and figured out sort of which widgets to move in which ways in order to change ideology in the country and build a movement. 
Okay, so Jane, follow up on that a little bit. You talked about the Cokes as engineers, and I should say, David Koch, over time, has donated more than $18 million to WGBH, which produces this show. He used to sit on the board. But you talked about them as engineers. So talk a little bit about like how they made their money, who they are, um, and, and where they come from, the Koch family. Well, the family was based in Wichita, Kansas, and they made their money when their father, Fred Koch, figured out a new way to refine oil, and it, it was more efficient, and he had trouble selling it in the United States, so he, um, ironically, despite later becoming a John Birch Society founder, made the fortune originally by selling his breakthrough to uh, Stalin in the Soviet Union, and then after that, he moved on to uh, Nazi Germany, and uh, helped construct a very important refinery for the Nazis that helped refine the oil that was used by the Nazi Air Force during World War II. He was not, I'm not trying to say he was a Nazi sympathizer. This was before the war, but not that far before the war. And he seemed untroubled by it and came back and became a very active conservative in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the sons grew up in this extreme conservative environment. And um, several of them went to MIT and got graduate degrees degrees there, including Charles Koch and David Koch, um, in engineering and nuclear engineering. And, um, you know, they're very bright, very well trained, and they had a very sort of systematic approach to American politics. And they hired somebody along the way who sort of did a a fascinating research study on how to manufacture American political thinking much as you might manufacture any other product. And they set out to make that a reality. Theda, you have studied uh, what's known as the Koch seminars, and the contents of these seminars are supposed to be kept very quiet. It's kind of a non-disclosure bubble. Uh, But walk me through what the seminars are, what they're like, uh, how they work. Well, first of all, let me say that, yes, these are secretive people and secretive organizations taking advantage of legal structures in the United States that allow wealthy people on both sides of the spectrum to donate without public transparency. And uh, they're good at it. They know how to, to, to indirectly channel money. They've been meeting once or twice a year, twice a year really, since the mid-2000s. They're held at resorts where um, military-like security is put around the perimeter once they get to 2008, 9, and after when there are hundreds of people coming. Um, They go on for several days. How do we know that? We know because for a couple of occasions, full programs have been left behind by accident or leaked to reporters. So in our research group, which we, what we did was to literally analyze every single session. What was it about? Who was speaking? Uh, we've done this, by the way, for the left as well, uh, the left group. So we're not we're doing it on both sides. And after each of these events, there's usually some target for fundraising created. And from 2011 on, a lot of the fundraising is going through the Freedom Partners Chamber of Commerce, which is a sort of money channeling organization at the kind of core of the Coke Network that takes donations from the people who attend twice a year, they have to give at least 100000 and most of them give a lot more than that. Uh, and then they, they channel that to other organizations. They have to report the organizations that they give the money to. So we have analyzed that pattern from late 2011 on. 
for about half the money, I would say, that the Cokes are channeling, uh, and uh, Cokes and their guests mm. at these several-day rich people confabs, where they listen to ideas. Do they have academics come? They, who, whose uh, ideas are they? There are some academics who come. In fact, more academics attend their meetings than attend the leftist meetings. Really? Yes. <laughs> and But these are academics who are working at universities or programs or think tanks that receive funding from the Koch Foundation or from their, uh, their kind of libertarian ideas initiatives or their ultra-free market uh, subsidies. They are kind of friendly academics, and they are sworn to silence like everybody else. But mainly it's wealthy people, men, white men and their wives, usually. They come as couples because it's a social networking occasion, as well as an occasion to hear the political strategies that are being hatched, to meet key politicians. Paul Ryan of Wisconsin is a frequent guest. Uh, Mitch McConnell has been there. All of the contenders for the 2016 presidential uh, nominations on the GOP side were there, except for one Donald J. Trump. Mm -hmm. We will get to that. Uh, We'll get to that. So these are occasions to meet politicians, including up-and-comers like Joni Ernst in Iowa, who was a state senator, I believe, before, that you might want to support. And what we've done in our research is to show the organizations that get a chance to speak and make their case— and then see whether they're getting contributions channeled through Freedom Partners. And they are. And it's a very small number of mainly Coke-controlled organizations that are getting the resources that these rich people are giving. We've also looked to see whether politicians who appear at these meetings get a bump up in donations from wealthy conservatives afterwards. And they do. They do. Okay. All right. You mentioned that you're also looking at what happens on the left. So give me a sense of, is there something... Coke-like going on on the left. You have these Coke seminars. They're helping to organize folks on the right who sort of lean more that way. Do you have some sort of wealthy family or wealthy group saying, okay, left-leaning people, here's where your resort is? Well, it's not a family in the case. The the Democracy Alliance was founded in 2005, around the same time, shortly after the Coke seminars were started on a very small scale. Bottom line is that many more wealthy conservatives attend the Koch seminars, as far as we can tell. Um, It's around 100 to 200 who attend uh, the Democracy Alliance meetings, but they both meet twice a year. They both meet in uh, posh locations. Uh, They both hear from political organizations that the key here is that it's not so much politicians that are getting the money, it's other political organizations that are pursuing an overall vision of change in the country. Now, here's the thing. I mean, it's not only there are many more people attending the Koch seminars from 2010 and 11 on than on the the Democracy Alliance seminars. The scale of money that's being raised is probably four to five times as much. And yet, on the left, it's being channeled to hundreds of organizations, whereas on the right, it's being channeled mainly to Coke-controlled organizations, about a dozen or so of them that work together. So the way I like to put it is that you've got free market Leninism on the right (laughs) and progressive market anarchy on the left. 
so Jane Mayer, and I, yeah, and, I was going to say, and, give me a sense um, of your well, vision of right versus well, left here. Well, Professor Scotchpole's done some terrific work on this. I have to say, along with Alexander Hertel Fernandez, they've their 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 study is really just the first really serious academic effort to kind of map this whole process, and it's 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 wonderful. But the um, one of the questions that I had for her is, I, I, I think, and I may be wrong, that another difference is that I think in the case of the Koch side of things, the right-wing side of things, the money is pooled by these billionaires and, and multimillionaires into Freedom Partners, as she said, which is controlled by Koch operatives, and they decide where to spend it, whereas, for the most part, whereas I think on the left, yeah. the groups come and, and audition for the money in front of the, the rich donors, and then the donors get to decide which of the groups they want to give it to. So there's not this kind of centralization, but there seems to be much more sort of command control over on the right. And again, it's one of the things the Kochs have excelled at is building of, of you know, this. it's an amazing machine, really. It's a political machine in some ways. Yeah, you know, I really agree with uh, with Jane's comments. With um, th- this is what I meant, and I it's too shorthand. The, the Democracy Alliance really is a marketplace. So this is the uh, this is, is the folks on the left. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, the meetings, uh, which I've been to a couple of them, consist of large numbers of organizations, progressive organizations, making the case that they should get donations. But it's up to the partners, as the wealthy participants in the Democracy Alliance are called, to make their own decisions. And their decisions tend to be scattered all over the place, Mm -hmm. to be frank with you. I mean, there's some degree of concentration of resources on some longstanding groups. But um, in the case of the Koch seminars, and, you know, we haven't had the chance to interview wealthy people who've attended them. I'm hoping to get some opportunity to do that. Because, um, you know, there are, I, I feel certain that the Kochs and their close associates do have to, do, to engage in a degree of persuasion. And, for example, Betsy DeVos is one of the people who's attended. She's very interested in school, breaking up the public schools and channeling private money into for-profit schools uh, as well as charter schools. And... They certainly have to accommodate her. So I think that there's probably some quiet um, acceptance of the fact that some of the money is going to go to Christian right type organizations, even though the, I don't think the Koch brothers are Christian anything. I mean, I I just don't think they care. Uh, Jane may know better. I should say here that um, Betsy DeVos is um, Trump's pick for Secretary of Education. Yeah, and we should get on to the fact that this 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 network is uh, is shaping domestic policy. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 such an irony because people people watched this year most of the political press, which I'm part of, saying that that because the Kochs did not back a presidential candidate, um, they they they'd assembled this huge jackpot and they were holding it out, and then they didn't like their choices in the end, so they didn't want to choose um, to put their money behind Donald Trump. That they've been sort of sidelined, and far from that. If you take a look at the at the new Trump administration as it's shaping up. There's kind of this deep influence that their their money and their people have. You know, they joke about the Cokes as a coctopus, and you can kind of see. 
see the tentacles <laughs> all the way throughout the new Trump administration. It's completely remarkable. Jane, I want to ask you about that because, as, as you yourself have pointed out, during the Republican primary in the lead up to the 2016 election, all these Republican nominees essentially went to the Kochs and said, I, you know, I'd really like your money. That'd really help me out here. The only person who didn't was Donald Trump. Of course, that was the person who ultimately won the election. So why would he be influenced by the Kochs at all? Because it seems like one of the things that he ran on was saying, look, I'm a rich person myself. I don't need money. Well, so let's unpack this a little bit. I mean, I think part of the reason he did win was because he ran against uh, the sort of corruption of American government that is um, symbolized by big donors like the Kochs. And he called the other candidates who flocked to get their money puppets and, and, and mocked them. And, of course, the Kochs didn't like this, um, and they, they withheld their money. But it, it gave him a lot of traction with the American public. Both he and Bernie Sanders, in many ways, were saying similar-sounding things about the corruption of American politics. So, you know, this was a year when I think the, the American public really turned against big money in a lot of ways. And I mean, it's actually, if you look at public opinion polls, they've long been against big money. And there's a, a large majorities against uh, the Citizens United Supreme Court decision that allowed even more political spending. And so um, at any rate, he benefited from that. But when it came down to picking a vice presidential candidate, he picked Mike Pence, who has also long been one of the Koch's absolutely favorite politicians. And in 2012, Charles Koch wished he could get Pence to run for president. It was his first choice. Mm -hmm. And Pence's policies are a mixture of things. Some of them are Christian right, which, as you have said earlier, is not something that matters that much to the Kochs. They're not religious activists in by any stretch. But he is a free market fundamentalist, as they are, and shares their view of, you know, the best government is the smallest government, and it's great when business makes its own rules. And so they're on the same page on that. And he seems to have had quite a bit of influence in setting up the new um, domestic policies. Jean, what happens from here with these very powerful political organizations that have risen up amongst the wealthy, um, particularly amongst the Kochs, who you have studied so much? Well, the Kochs are getting very old now. They're, you know, in their 80s, I guess. And um, so, you know, that, that everything changes in politics. It's ripe for change. My guess of the people that I've covered, the statement that struck home with me was John McCain, who had tried to reform money in politics earlier, said he thinks it's going to take a huge scandal like Watergate, and then there'll be a wave of reform again. And I think that probably makes sense. Most reforms have come after huge scandals. And judging from the early days of the, you know, Trump administration, it looks like we're cruising for many huge scandals. The question is whether the public will care, but it, it certainly looks ripe for that. Theta? I think the biggest achievement of the organized right in, in recent times has been to discredit the idea of democratic government, to raise questions about whether any of it matters. I think a, young, a lot of young people are just saying, to hell with it. This is a great danger. The scandals of the Trump era may very well lead to people simply dropping out. So I worry a lot about that. I am not convinced that it'll be smooth sailing for this Trump GOP conglomerate. 
But I do think there has to be sustained, uh, morally inspired opposition uh, to them. Theda, I want to ask you, you know, here we've talked about these kind of new organizations that have sprung up. Are liberals going to or have they started saying, look, if right, if rich people can influence things from the right, we can do the same thing. If they can build a structure and, yeah, maybe it takes a, a few decades to sort of get all the pieces in place and make it successful, we can do that. And we, the, you know, 1% of the 1% on the left, we can have the same effect. Yeah, I don't think so. I um, I hope, I do believe that um, liberals and progressives have the possibility for creating coherent and powerful organizations that operate across all levels of American government and across 50 states. That's what it takes. But right now, um, I feel that there's a lot of fragmentation on the left. And there's also, I'm going to say something that's going to make everybody, including Jane Mayer, very upset. There is a um, an almost knee-jerk belief that big money in politics is the problem. What I say is big money combined with very bad values and powerful organization is the problem. I do not believe that the top goal on the left right now should be what it is for a lot of people on the left, which is to get money out of their side of politics. Not unless you figure out a way to get a lot of money in from another angle. I'm a strong believer in widespread dues-placed organizations. But, and we haven't talked about this, the number one goal of the Koch network and other forces on the right has been to disorganize the left. Every time they come to power at any level of government, and boy, we see no exception to that in the appointments that Trump is making, his cabinet, his president. Trump's cabinet is full of people who are devoted to destroying what's left of American unions, defunding Planned Parenthood, basically uh, discouraging constituencies from voting or mobilizing people to vote on the left. And, you know, that's the first thing they do. The first thing they do is to disorganize their opponents. And frankly, I don't think American liberals and progressives have come up with a response to all of this. Theda Scotchpole is a sociologist and a political scientist at Harvard who studies American politics. And Jane Mayer is a staff writer for The New Yorker. She's the author of Dark Money, The Hidden History of the Billionaires Behind the Rise of the Radical Right. Jane and Theda, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. Great to be with you. We've got a whole lot more about Theta Scotchpole's research so you can read it for yourself and more about Jane Mayer's coverage of the Cokes. Plus, we've got a link to the Cokes' reaction to Mayer's book. That's all on our website, innovationhub.org. Support for Innovation Hub comes from the Graken Center for Addiction at Boston Medical Center, making long-term recovery a reality for patients like Cassie, who now supports others struggling with the disease. You can see Cassie's story and learn more at bmcaddiction.org.